and welcome to the Zolly Mamza podcast with Magali and Hansini, where we have thought-provoking conversations about journeys, life and much more. Catch our latest episodes every Monday. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to the Zolly Mamza podcast. Today we have Priyanka Samanthi with us for the part two episode that we did where in part one we talked about illegal adoptions and her experience and with finding her birth mother and so in this part two episode we'll be talking about the adoption structure the work that she's been doing and how she hopes to continue her work and change the adoption structure for the future so welcome Prangika thank you again for joining us on this part two episode the first one was a bit intense and you were so brave sharing your story with us so thank you again for joining us um how are you doing i'm fine thank you uh thank you for having me for part two and i'm really happy that we got to speak about my adoption story but also the fact that you girls didn't uh, leave out any of the details in my legal adoption story because i tend to experience that a lot but it's so uncomfortable to speak about so people leave out questions or they cut out bits of my story because they don't want people to be scared <laughs> so I'm really happy that you just released the whole story and that I got to tell my side for the first time. I'm really glad to hear that actually because that was one thing we were like oh is this should we be asking this should we not be asking this but I think you were really welcoming in terms of you were really open to answering every question that we had Mm -hmm. which was so great so yeah Mm -hmm. thank you so much for that. I think the next thing we wanted to talk about like Meg said is the structure so can you tell us a little bit about the current structure and what you've learned through the process? Yeah uh, so it depends on what kind of country you are in but most of the time adoptive parents have to be uh, registered as that in the system and to go to become an adoptive parent you have to go through a process of nine steps of them getting to know you um, your mental situation your financial situation and just speak with people in your life and I have been criticizing the adoption structure um, in terms of that process because instead of them asking for a child um, a report from the what is it called uh, social service yeah instead of them asking for a report from social services they will speak with your friends and colleagues about your uh, ability to become a parent or parenting so I have uh, been criticizing the adoption process for a long time and I want them to look at the way they are um, training these adoptive parents to become adoptive parents and what's very interesting is that adoptive parents understand this criticism because they also feel the pressure of being a perfect parent so there's loads of questions in this process that they are not uh, comfortable of asking. For example, uh, there was one person who asked me if my child experienced racism and I don't understand how to deal with it, will it be okay for me to connect that child with 
their cultural heritage community and step away from that situation. I don't want to be a part of that process, but I want that child to have a free space. And when I explained her why it's problematic to ask such question or do it in practice, she understood, but because it's not openness in that type of process, it's a loads of questions and thoughts that um, they aren't able to deal with. So when they go through this process and they're accepted as adopted parents, usually the government transfer them to an organization who handles the adoption process. Yeah, so when the parents, uh, well, when the adoptive parents have been accepted as adoptive parents, they're transferred to this organization that is going to handle the adoption process. And they are the one who's in contact with the adoption agency in the birth countries of the adoptee or in contact with the government. So when they um, handle this adoption process, they will put the adoptive parents in contact with their uh, network in our birth countries but they're not in charge of the local adoption process in our birth countries. So when they adopt the parents tra travel to our birth countries, they have to handle this process by themselves. And they are recommended a lawyer to stay in contact with or uh, a tourist guide who can be a translator. But it's up to them who they want to choose to use in this process. And it's up to them um, how long they want to stay there for. Um, they could uh, choose lawyers who are very fast or they could choose lawyers that they trust more because fast lawyers in our birth countries are oftentimes uh, corrupt. So it depends really on what kind of process you want and how long time you have for uh, this adoption process. But what's very unfortunate is that um, our new countries are not in any way able to um, handle the local adoption process so it's up to the birth country to control the situation and process and that's what I find very irresponsible and disturbing in the whole uh, adoption um, structure is that they can go on uh, with the process locally that our new countries are not in charge of and they oftentimes signed a convention that is called convention just some rights uh, and guidelines for um, our birth countries to follow with um, a collaboration with our with western countries but oftentimes they have signed this uh, convention but it's not uh, legally put into the structure so for example korea have signed it but it's not in what is it called when it's not in called ratified in Norway like it's not in practice oh so it's, it's just kind of there on paper but it's not actually in use yeah yeah so for example Korea signed the Hague Convention but mm -hmm. it's not really in use yet but still they have signed thousands of adoptions papers uh, without having these terms to follow Hmm. And what's very problematic that people don't understand, uh, most of the people that contact me because they want to change my opinion of being critical to the system, they oftentimes show me the hate convention and they tell me that hate convention is supposed to 
take care of the child's rights and make sure that uh, the adoption process happens in a legal way. But what they don't understand is that an illegal market of selling children could never be controlled by hate convention that is supposed to control the legal system because illegal adoptions go without the system or um, it could go through the system as well. But uh, there is no such thing as uh, going to court uh, based on hate convention. Hate convention is a silly practice. It's only conditions that you Mm. should look at. It's not really um, lawful structure that you have to uh, follow. So I think it's very important to remember that a convention could never take care of the rights of the child in practice. Mm -hmm. But it's um, up to each country if they want to look at it. Also, it's Mm. not enforced because then that obviously makes it tricky because it doesn't really, um, they're not obliged to sort of follow it through. Yeah, even the UN Convention of the Rights of the Children says that if there is an industry of selling children that someone is earning loads of money on, it has to be stopped and that the rights of the child goes before any other rights. But when you look at the rights of the child, every country in the world is breaking those rights every single day. And Mm -hmm. especially in adoption process, now I counted that it's at least 30 points in um, 30 articles in the Children's Rights uh, Convention that the adoption structure now breaks. Mm. But because uh, the children are unaware of this or they have to shine light upon this in court themselves, it's hard to keep people uh, responsible for it. It's it's not like we can go to court and hold people responsible without it costing loads of money. So yeah, it's very sad that a broken structure uh, will uh, affect some children that have to fight the cost themselves. But hopefully a podcast like this can make people aware and we can change the structure instead. Yeah. What are some of the types of rights, children rights that are, being broken and not followed so children are supposed to know about their heritage cultural heritage and um, family heritage they are uh, supposed to be in contact with their uh, families and they are supposed to keep their identity such as name and cultural background they are supposed to learn their language and learn about the cultural heritage in the system, and even it even says that the local government has to uh, put in as much uh, effort in trying to keep their cultural heritage and heritage in, in practice as they can um, and create a system that take care of their uh, well-being, such as spiritual uh, well-being, but also soul and identity. But we're not adoptees lose their full identity by losing their uh, last names and they also lose their ability to be connected with their cultural background when they are adopted uh, outside their continent. It's very hard to raise a Southeast Asian in Norway uh, without knowing our cultural background and that's why a lot of people say that I seem 
discriminating when it seems discriminating when I say that I don't believe that we could adopt children with Southeast Asian backgrounds to Western families and they can take care of our cultural backgrounds because Mm. it's beyond their uh, knowledge. And I think it's very ignorant to think that they can take care of our uh, cultural heritage and language when they don't even speak our languages. If it was um, by law, a structure that said that our adoptive parents had to speak our local languages and know about our cultural heritage, I think most of the adoptive parents wouldn't be accepted as adoptive parents. But because they have created a structure that take care of the Western parents' rights and not the birth um, country's rights, I think uh, this is why we also experience not knowing our identity and culture of heritage and we grow up with the identity crisis so you know one of the points you said is that one of the rights that the child should have is being kept as, as obviously they have to still be able to speak their language be kept close and aware of their culture but in my well, so from my knowledge this might be really wrong it's kind of once you adopt a child the parent like the birth parent has a choice whether they want to keep in contact or they don't but is that choice not given to these like to the birth parents in this scenario most of the time they're not allowed to stay in contact and most of the time they haven't been even told that they could stay in contact mm, most okay, of right. the birth parents that I know of uh, and have spoken with which is over 200 birth parents they have never heard about their rights and they don't have any rights, which is very unfair because when they look into the system and want to contact the adoptee or they've lost their child in adoption illegally, they don't have any rights to uh, fight the system with. So I think that's something that needs to be spoken of about the UN Convention as well. The child has a lot of rights when it comes to our cultural heritage and spiritual heritage. But our parents, it's not even our birth parents, it's our parents. They don't have any rights. And what's really sad about it is that most of the time they think that uh, it's the adoptee that will be better off without contact. But the adoptee have been told another story. So it's very hard to understand the adoption process and structure unless you hear about the corruption in it because mm-hmm. people are speaking in our their local languages with the translator no one is able to control this practice and it's really sad to hear about the stories our parents have been told when you also hear their adoptive parents story because the adoptive parents have always wanted to make sure that our parents are taken care of and that they are well but when we tell them our real stories, they're heartbroken as well. Everyone are victims of this practice. So I think it's very important to think about the fact that uh, there is someone earning on adoption and there is someone earning on adoptive parents and our parents not being in contact. Because if they could speak together and if they could uh, be in contact, 
the real stories will be told. But because they are most of the time told that it's better better for the adoptee to contact you when they are um, legal, uh, legally allowed to. Uh, I think that's also why our stories are not heard until we are uh, eighteen, and when we are eighteen, it's too late too- to sue the government. Mm-hmm. So that's what we are trying to change now the due date of bringing this up in the legal system okay so when you say you're trying to change as in have there been changes let's say over the past 20 years that have happened to the adoption structure or is it very slow moving it is slow moving because uh oftentimes the government don't want to listen to adoptees Mm. But it's very important to remember that the investigation that took place now in the Netherlands of illegal adoptions and the fact that the Netherlands now stopped with adoptions because they investigated the practice and found out that there is no such thing as uh, ethic adoptions and that it's uh, human trafficking put into a legal system. They even write that in their report, that it's human trafficking mm. put into yeah. a system and that it's so corrupt that they, it's very hard to control the system. This is because adoptees and uh, human rights activists have tried to um, shine light upon this. And this investigation was to, supposed to happen between 1960, I believe, until 1990, but then adoptees uh, made sure that they um, investigated it till this day. And when they did that, they understood that this practice is still going on now. And it's because adoptees have been shining light on this for so many years, but it takes such a long time for them to be, um, it takes such a long time for them to be heard. So I think it's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes, but it just takes loads of years. And in Norway, people have been trying to speak about the UN Convention about children's rights of uh, the aftercare system for so long time that their mental health and physical well-being is um, not taken care of in the practice of adoption process. But it's been 30 years, and last year they. hired a coordinator in Norway. She doesn't have any information about adoptions at all. She has literally no idea what it takes to be an adoptee or adoptive parent. And when we speak about her, our identity crisis or mental health or struggles of traumas, she doesn't under, she don't understand anything, but I see that the government is trying to hire someone now. So we don't hold them uh, responsible for this practice anymore. So it's more like a cover-up more than a change because uh, there is loads of adoptees and uh, therapists that would love to be working for the government, but because uh, they want to control this structure, then uh, I think they try their hardest to fight this cause without involving us. But it's changing now because we will continue to spread awareness of it. And I believe that within three years, we have been able to end adoption. When you briefly also mentioned about, you know, the fact that it is human trafficking from the report and from the investigation, do you think that anyone is being held accountable, whether it's here or whether it's, 
you know, in Sri Lanka in this case or anywhere around the world where this kind of illegal adoption is happening, has anyone been held accountable or is it just kind of not really happening right now until proper changes happen? So uh, RFTs have actually started to sue the government. Uh, the first court case against the Sri Lankan adoption structure happened in the Netherlands now last year. Uh, the RFT wasn't heard in the system and they dismissed her case. But then now after the report, the Netherlands have decided that there's no due date on suing the government or the system for adoption stories. So uh, she is going to court again now this fall. And I see that a lot of adoptees are following her footsteps and Korean adoptees have been fighting uh, legally in the system for many years. But I see that people are being held responsible. Uh, but it takes a long time. We are now raising awareness of a lawsuit that is happening in Sri Lanka. Adoptees are helping our parents to fight uh, their legal uh, case in the system now. And then they will do a group lawsuit against the Sri Lankan government as well mm. to for a compensation. What I do find strange is that adoptees want a compensation for their adoption, which is understandable that they want some kind of legal justification of all of this. But then it's important to remember the proper loser in this case and that's our parents mm. they are the one living in poverty or struggling in a system where their traumas and mental health are not taken care of so I hope that adoptees are spending this money right and creating a better system with them but we will see if our parents will get any funding or justice in the system as well that's why it's very important for me to keep on shining a light that there is no such amount that could justify this. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it's a, a, it's important as well to send a signal that um, we do hold them responsible for their actions. And some traffickers have uh, been taken to jail. There's one uh, trafficker from Sri Lanka that was held responsible in India last year. Uh, because she uh, had been trafficking children from a Catholic convent. Oh, and wow. now when she's put in jail, um, she's still there, but uh, European uh, organizations are still funding their work. So I don't think everyone is aware of the fact that uh, they are legally held responsible in our local countries, uh, neither. But... There is a case in Sri Lanka from last year where there was a baby farm and a person advertising selling children online. He was held responsible in court in January and he sold 12 babies before they were able to um, arrest him. And he had, yeah, and he has, he had birth mothers at the rack. Um, and they couldn't track the babies, but they know that more people were involved. And this is December last year. That is actually mental. And it's a baby farm. So when we speak yeah. about baby farms as a term, and people are shocked that people have actually created babies for adoption or uh, stolen babies, 
to sell them off or fooled women to give up their babies uh, for adoption mm-hmm. and get money for it. It's still happening. It's not uh, past. So it doesn't. Um, so it doesn't really. When we talk about baby farms, yeah. from what I'm understanding, is it doesn't have to be like big scale because this is how it starts. It starts with like one person, and then it becomes. It grows over time because yeah, even twelve babies is so. Even twelve babies is that's a lot. Like it's a whole system. I think it's yeah. I think it's very important to remember that that is also twelve lives. Yeah. So yeah. It's not really like just 12 babies. It's 12 children growing up thinking that they were given for adoption freely or given through to have a better life. And when they are reunited one day or if they can be reunited, because it's harder to be reunited when you come from a baby farm than from a normal uh, family, even though it's a legal adoption. Mm-hmm. It's important to remember the traumas and sorrow and yeah experiences that these babies will have as well so it's incredibly sad that uh, that's did so it. recent because the last time we spoke um we we were talking about baby farms but that was because of the documentary which was was it in the 19 was it 70 or 60s but yeah. it's crazy to hear that it's still happening just yeah people think that it happened until the 90s but um, it's been happening for all these years. And that Catholic convent in Sri Lanka that had babies sold off to other countries, when the police came to that Catholic convent, it was 75 children in the Catholic convent that wanted to sell off the babies. And they think that they're helping the babies mm-hmm. and they're earning money on helping the babies because they're selling the children for them to have yeah. a better life. But then they are also earning money on this. And, that's the mm-hmm. thing that I think people need to understand is that as long as there is a profit in this, mm-hmm. it's going to happen and it's just going to change the roughing of it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important to not um, bring children beyond continents, but at least to force them to do local uh, trades of babies so you can track down the babies or you could create a better and healthier system for the rights of the child and rights of the parents but you know in terms of this is quite a broad question actually in terms of the number of children that need to actually be adopted you know like orphans and parents available do you think it's possible to kind of do it in a healthy way because I feel like a lot of these parents that are coming from abroad they feel like they're helping these children but like you said they don't need to go abroad they can kind of do it more locally even within their countries yeah so there's obviously not enough families uh, locally to take care of all the orphans mm. that um, needs families. And most of the children, uh, actually 80% of the children from a research that the UN did uh, in the orphanages do have living parents. So it's not like they don't have living parents, but just because you have a living parent doesn't mean that you could actually stay with that parent or it will be a healthy environment for you to grow up in. So I think it's very important to um, create a better foster care system in our local uh, communities in Sri Lanka, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what we are working on, changing people's mindset on uh, foster care. Because the problem is that in our birth countries, raising someone else's child 
outside your own family it's a very strange option to having a child or it's a very strange option of taking care of someone but trying to um, shine light on this topic and recreate their um, thoughts on this topic I think that is the most important thing for them to be informed that they're actually helping the child in a very good way because what's the difference on well the difference on bringing a child outside the continent and letting them stay within their country is that their cultural background could at least be taken care of what's very sad is that because it's lack of families or lack of uh, homes they could stay in some of these children will need to grow up in institutions but even institutions that have your cultural well-being and spiritual well-being could sometimes do better than bring brought abroad and you have to experience racism you lack your spiritual heritage you lack your cultural mm-hmm. heritage you grow up and you have the identity crisis that adoptees have and what's not spoken of is that research is not uh, accepting adoption as a very healthy uh, option to take care of children when you look at brain science mm-hmm. on our brains of children being taken care of their uh, taken from their parents at a young age or you look at the trauma history of adoptees most of us have ptsd or complex ptsd and we struggle with feelings regulation or we struggle with identity crisis but because everyone wants me to say that um it only happens to some adoptees and not most of the adoptee this information are not being spread because as an adoptee you could think that you're having a very healthy uh, feeling uh, system but the problem is that when you haven't uh, been able to know the cultural heritage or spiritual heritage that you have it's not like you're going to miss it neither and it's not like you are uh, going to understand the value of it but if you do confront your own demons or traumas then you will realize what kind of uh, adoption fog you are living in but it takes a lot mm-hmm. of courage to confront those uh, traumas and that's what uh, I'm trying to speak with the government in our birth countries now but is that it's better for you guys to create um different living situation like SOS children homes or um foster care systems or institutions or recreate the structure what's the most question that i ask is that i ask them why they cannot um have parenting programs because if they had parenting programs and they had a better aftercare system after the child was being born then they could speak about alcoholism they could speak about abuse they could be taking putting option into families before it goes too far that the child needs to be taken out of their home so i think that instead of trying to stop the bleeding when it's too late we have to be working before our time yeah preventing war uh, prevention of the adoption process is more important than to try to change the structure now. But our birth countries understand this. They understand that adoption isn't a good uh, option anymore. 
And that's why they are closing uh, the adoption option now. From everything we've spoken about, there's so much work and there's so much area that needs, I guess, you know, changing, rethinking. So what's been your focus and what kind of projects are you working on currently? My main focus is to be the voice of adoptees that uh, they don't understand that they need to have someone who's criticizing the system without trying to criticize adoptive parents or our uh, mm. parents for doing this. So I'm trying to just in spread this information and spread the information that um, I'm doing through uh, my own research as well. And then now we are creating a series or documentaries on this topic and trying to just find new ways to spread the information. I think my network of people in Norway could be uh, helpful for the cause uh, in the adoption industry because I don't have the typical human rights activist type of network or an echo camera. Uh, I do reach out to other people who's not uh, normally reading about this topic. And I think that's what I can help them with to spread the information uh, to a larger audience. And I will be uh, fighting this legally. So now I'm putting up an organization from the activist page that I'm uh, doing on Instagram calling Romanticized Immigration. And Romanticized Immigration uh, stands for that it's always romantic with immigration when it's a white man bringing the child abroad. But mm -hmm. immigration yeah. uh, from people of color is looked down on. Upon. Yeah. So uh, I want to spread this information through an organization now. We have uh, hired lawyers to write a letter to the government for an uh, independent investigation. And if they aren't going to do it, which they told us in March that they don't want to, then um, we will use my network and the media to spread uh, this awareness. And hopefully uh, by suing the government and suing people, then we can change the adoption structure because every legal case that I bring up now, I hope to change some part of the structure for the child to have the rights up to their names, last names, uh, cultural heritage, language classes, aftercare system, and other adoptees and other groups as well are working so hard on this. So I think we, mm -hmm. we continue different paths and different topics in this adoption infrastructure I think we can change the system little by little and our causes will complement each other but it's a mm -hmm. very tough uh, system to fight in because it doesn't affect anyone normally you have to be interested in learning about the topic mm -hmm. to actually involve yourself in it it's not like racism or abuse against uh, refugees Loads of people who have been immigrating or been a refugee themselves can uh, relate to it. And it's close to their heart because they always know someone who has been a part of it. But adoptees is a very small group and it's very mm -hmm. um, romanticized option. So I think um, even for our own community to understand that it's not that luxury to be an adoptee because most of the people that I know that is people of color tell me that I always dreamt about being an adoptee when I grew up because it seemed 
like it was a better option than to have strict parents or to think about my cultural heritage and being uh, socially um, controlled because of our cultural background. And then I'm trying to explain them that you have all that adoptees are dreaming of, but mm. uh, being an adoptee is actually uh, so much adapting that you lose yourself. That, mm. Yeah, I, I understand. Well, I, I say I understand, but I think through this conversation, it's kind of really opened my eye on yeah, the situation because like too. you said, to be really honest, unless I'd come across a documentary myself, I don't think I would have learned about this or about the system. I think you mm-hmm. learn about it every once in a while when there's an investigation or something like that. But then, like you said, it dies down because it doesn't affect the majority of the population. So without this conversation, I wouldn't have learned as much as I did. Yeah. Yeah, no, me too. But when you say you're working on these projects, do you work on these full time? Or is it something that you do on the side of, you know, modeling or anything on the side? No. So uh, when I first started with uh, this, it was a part-time thing, but now it's taken over my full life. And it's both mentally exhausting, but also it's been a sacrifice financially because I went from a leadership job to working on adoption structure um information and research so now when i'm writing a book project or uh, i work on other projects it's a full-time job and i think it's more than a full-time job actually because uh i always have to be one step ahead of everyone else Mm -hmm. because our the people who are in charge of this are in powerful situations positions and situations in the adoption uh, structure but I'm a nobody I'm just illegally adopted and I want to change our rights so I think it's a full-time job and more than that and it's going to be a life for a lifetime do you think you'll be doing this for a while as in not for a while but do you think you'll get to a point where you think I need to draw a line or because I feel like you said it started part-time and now it's becoming full time, and like you said, it can be quite con- like time consuming and also mentally draining or mentally exhausting. Yeah. Um, so where do you draw uh, the line? I've actually come to that point where uh, I've asked myself if it's worth it. Yeah, I've actually come to that point where I ask myself if I need to draw that line because what's very strange working with adoption as an adoptee is that if you aren't working with this you could go to um counseling or you could just um put your traumas aside but because i work on it all the time and i do research and i speak with adoptees who are traumatized or I speak with our parents in our local co- countries and it's always a wound that is uh, reopened all the time and i reconfront mm-hmm. my traumas all the time and it's mentally exhausting at this point. So I think, uh, yeah, so I came to that point where I asked myself if I had to stop with working on research and writing and working on adoption structure. But then I have a network around me now that created uh, this balance in my life, I think, because they forced me to not speak on adoption topics all the time and they forced me to take a break. 
So I think now I've come to a point where I think that I can continue to work on this for some more years and just recreate a balance in my life. And then I have to stop because um, I would love to work on solution for our parents instead of working on just informing about the structure and problems that adoptees are experiencing in, in the system. Because as a person, I would love to be more a part of the solution in this structure than to just shine light up on the negative sides because it's extremely draining. And it's draining for everyone around me as well because my world is most of the time negative. And the topic that I speak about is a negative topic. Um, so I think it's very important for them as well that I uh, take a break and I could come back to it, but uh, I just need to be a part of this solution for a while. So I know that it, there is hope in this because sometimes it could feel like this is a never ending scenario and that it's mm -hmm. never going to be a system that could change because it's such a big system and in India and Pakistan and other countries. It's a system that um, haven't yet been spoken about because it's so many people to take care of and the resources but they need to take care of their children and to and trafficking is such a huge and political system but uh, for me to be part of changing that it could feel like it's a never-ending story but changes are happening and that's the incredible part to see that it's actually worth it yeah no because i was i was gonna say you're doing such an amazing job i think um like you said because you are taking on um it, it's a huge sort of negative topic but you're doing everything you can i think at the end of the day you have to look at it that way um and you're doing it little by little um, I think I was also going going to ask if you sort of managed to get counselling because I think last time you said there aren't enough counsellors available. Is that still the case? The case for adoptees is that uh, my job is to shine light up on the fact that they don't understand adoption and they mm -hmm. don't understand our traumas or PTSD that we are experiencing. So what's very sad is that as a person of color in general finding a therapist or counselor that understand the cultural heritage or background that we speak of is a very hard job to uh, even find someone that suits us well but as an adoptee it's almost impossible I know of I think two therapists that I know that really understand this topic and that is really able to guide adoptees and when you have million adoptees out there um it's not enough uh, tools for us cool. to use and help to um search, uh, reach out to so i think finding my own ways on coping with this has been the most important thing and just speaking with like-minded people who understand that mm -hmm. is a sorrow because what's very hard is that it's not really traumas only it's a grief of not knowing your family and being able to 
have a life with them. My only life on earth will be um, controlled by this system. And that's very sad about the whole thing. It's not like it's going to change neither. So I think just accepting that our situation is like it is now and moving on and creating solution for ourselves. I think that's the most important thing. So what I'm trying to do instead of uh, searching for help right now is that I'm trying to remind myself that I have the power to create a family, but I couldn't get myself. Mm -hmm. So at least the next generations after me can have that family and have the family and cultural heritage that I would love to grow up in myself. Yeah. So I can pass it on for them. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's that's amazing because I think um it is important for you. Well, you are teaching them. So I think it will carry it will carry on. So just keep doing what you're doing. I have to say a lot of healing in that. Yeah. I have to say it's been a real privilege talking to you. So again thank you so much for your time I feel like we could talk to you all day to be really honest like there's so much to there's so much to learn and there's so much to, not even just about this just about everything else that you do all your other work and everything like that so thank you so much for your time I think we have one final question for you it's just throughout this whole search and throughout your whole journey what has kept you going I think it's the lack of rights that our parents have because even though I feel like I lost everything and that I'm walking around with this grief all the time, but uh, mm-hmm. I have to deal with and traumas related to my adoption, I do have a privilege and it's important to acknowledge that I have a privilege. I have a voice. I have a network. I have a financial stable situation. I have all these tools. So for me, it's our parents. And okay. it's very important to remember that our parents do not have the networks that we have most of the time. They are not in a mental or financial situation where they could be fighting their own case. So I think meeting them all the time, it's very important for me to stay in close contact with our parents, different mm-hmm. parents in our local communities and just spend time with them and seeing their life because it keeps on reminding me that um, I am privileged and I'm very lucky to have been growing up with parents who wanted so badly to take care of me, but obviously they were unable to carry on my heritage that I was longing for. But um, always reminding myself that I have a privilege and that privilege should be used to help others. And our parents, um are teaching me so much about the system because I think what's the most important thing that I could say to anyone listening to this podcast is that you do not understand how the system works until you meet the people who is affected by it, who's really truly affected by it. And spending yeah. time with them before you vote or before you criticize the system or you uh, honor the system I think that's the most important thing we could do because that's how I learned that our system is not working in practice such as on mm-hmm. paper learning from their experiences with the system and that's what keep on uh, keeps me going and I think that's also what changed me completely because now mm-hmm. I understand how the system works and 
It's only because of them. It's not because some smart politicians told me about the system or tried to convince me on this topic of who I should vote for or what kind of system that I can uh, think could be in practice if I just did my part. It's all about the minorities and their lack of rights. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. I think that's We're the gonna, lesson. <laughs> we take all away. of us. Yeah. yeah. But um, we'll put down all your links um, and everything, you know, all the links to the accounts and everything in the description, description box on Instagram and on all of our platforms. So hopefully Perfect. we can get more people to kind of know about this and hopefully we can raise some more awareness but thank you thank, so you, thank you again for your time honestly it's um yeah very privileged so thank you so much thank yeah, you for having me so much thank you for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed our content you can reach out to us on instagram at zodi.mamsel and keep up to date with our latest adventures Wishing you a wonderful day. Here's to you keeping your head up and winning. Lots of love, Zolly Mamsel.